For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. to hit you the way that it hit us as we were studying it. God, it is good to come back to the basics, to remember the foundation upon which everything is set, to glory in your creation, to love you for what you gave us, for giving us free will, and for loving us even when we abused that. God, you are so gracious, so merciful, so loving. Help us to remember that as we study today what you have brought before us. It is your word, God. So help Carrie and I to stay out of the way and let you speak. It is your word, God. So let all of the distractions that might be in the hearts of those who are listening be carried away in the sound of your grace so that we may hear you clearly because you are worthy and you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Have you ever, have you guys ever had a time when you, you were promised something that just seemed too good to be true? Like I, there have been times when I have, uh, uh, received. I don't know if you've ever done this. It may be that I'm the only one, but a Nigerian prince knows me personally, and he sends me an email that lets me know that if I just give him my bank account information, he's going to split $13 million with me. And that's, I mean, I could use $6.5 million, right? And it just seems too good to be true. And so it turns out a lot of times when it sounds that way, it is. Um, and the reason is because most of the time, whenever we are uh, trying to approach something and trying to understand whether it's true or not, we're dealing with human beings. And sadly, all of us have a penchant to exaggerate or a penchant to believe that something is going to be true even if we don't know for sure. Or sadly, there are some of us just out there to make a buck and to, to get one over on the people around us. And so when we hear that something is going on that's really good, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Too often, it's because we've been hurt because we believe something that's too good to be true. And the minute that you're hurt by something like that, it makes it harder to trust the next thing, doesn't it? It makes it harder to trust the next person. It makes it harder to trust the next promise. It makes it harder to trust anything, really. And in today's world, we especially have found out that um, we've often been deceived. And if that's the case, 
then how do we know when to trust something? How do we know when something is not too good to be true? Well, we always start with a consider question. And today's consider question is gonna just get down to the root of that, that, that issue that we have, because we don't just do that with human beings. We carry that over in our understanding of God. So our consider question today is, why are we so quick to doubt God's intentions? All right, we started this series talking about Jesus, who mm -hmm. uh, grew up learning about his father and the Jewish people yes. and his place in this world. And just like, well, just like Jesus, who was willing to ask questions and get answers and live out what he learned, we can do the same by being willing to learn. And then last week, we started our year journey in the Old Testament and yes. trying um, to see Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. And we learned that it's important to know the past to go further in our faith. Right. This week, we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 3. Last week, Pastor Carrie and I went into Genesis 1 and 2, and now we're going to start Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So why is it that if someone tells you there are 24,900 people in the city limits of Ardmore, you will believe them. But if they tell you the paint on the wall is not dry, don't touch it. You touch it to be sure. <laughs> Just to see and make sure. Right? Are you sure it's wet? <laughs> yes. So questions are used to learn. We tend to forget most of the conversations we have and things that we listen to, but we remember questions that are asked for sometimes years, especially questions that kind of penetrate deep into our thoughts and make us think. And in the third chapter of Genesis, we find the very first recorded question from God, right? But we also find the first promise given by God to man that he will take care of him. And last week, when Pastor Carrie and I talked about chapters one and two of Genesis, Chapter 2, 16 said, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Yes. And he gave us all authority, man, us, when I say us, I mean man, authority over the land, the sea, the animals, and free reign to eat anything that was planted in the garden. Right. So he had full access to whatever he wanted. But this promise was put forward with an additional promise attached in Genesis 2, 17. And he said, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So of all of the beautiful things inside the garden, there's one tree that he says, don't eat from that because you surely will die. Don't touch that, the paint is wet. That's right. So let's take a look at what happens beginning in chapter three, verse one. If you guys are there, say amen. amen. All right. Excellent. First verse, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So here is the first time that we really see our enemy. God shows us from the very beginning who and what Satan's all about. Right? And just like we talked about, we need to understand the past so we can further our faith in the future. And so from the very beginning of Genesis, he is beginning to show us who our enemy is. Yes. And then he's gonna show us who he is. That's right, that's right. And it, we have to remember, um, as we're looking at this, uh, 
the serpent, when it says he's shrewd, that word in the Hebrew really means cunning. It really means like the worst kind of shrewd. It's not just a smart person. It's a smart person who knows how to take your wits and beat you about the head and shoulders with it. He's, he's very good at turning you around on your ear. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing that he does is he takes God's word and he twists it just a little bit. And he's not even twisting it so that you'll believe it. He's twisting it so that you'll forget what he actually said. A lot of times when we think of Satan, we think of him standing at your front door wearing a red suit with a pitchfork <laughs> yes. and horns, right? And he's saying, I have come to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. But in reality, our enemy doesn't, a lot of times doesn't play that way. Mm -hmm. He's very deceptive. And notice I said that the very first question that God asks is in this chapter. <clears throat> and so is the very first question that Satan asks. That's right. Which is, did right. God really tell you that? Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. The other thing is, is that to de defeat the person that you're trying to defeat, mm -hmm. you must divide and then conquer and create isolation. Right? So we know in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, that Satan, according to the Bible, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Mm -hmm. And it gives us this image, if you've ever watched National Geographic or anything on TV, any of the nature shows, and you've watched the lions, when they get ready to uh, pounce or get ready to go after their prey, they will hide in the grass, the tall grass, or behind bushes, and they'll lay real low and they'll wait. Wait for patient. just Yeah, patiently, for just the right time to pounce. And you'll notice when we were talking about uh, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it talks about how God loves to spend time with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. But he spends time with them in the cool of the evening. That's he right. would come and visit them, and he would walk along in the garden with them, and he loves spending time with them. So what does Satan do? He waits until God isn't around, right? When Adam and Eve are all alone. He knew he could conquer Adam and Eve while they were together, but separate from God. And I, I was just yeah. thinking about this um, just now, really just now. Um, he, he's waiting for the right time. He's also waiting for them to be in the right position. Guess where Adam and Eve probably already are. They could be anywhere else in the garden, mm -hmm. but they happen to be where they can see the paint that might not be as wet as the other person said. Right. They are right there at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for some reason. So when the serpent says this, they've already put themselves in a position for him to be able to attack. Right. So think about our enemy. What are we learning right here from the get-go? During times of isolation and loneliness, we are weaker and more likely to succumb to a fall. Yes. So remember that. That's why we need each other. Because when we're alone... <laughs> And when we are isolated, that's when he can speak to us the most. And Satan is still doing that today. He's dividing, trying to divide families and churches by isolating them, by separating them, yes. and making them feel alone. And that's what he does. That's right. And he's also, uh, he uses questions to deceive us. Mm -hmm. His intention in asking the question is to create doubt. So one of the things that we say here often at the JAR is that doubts are just questions that haven't been answered yet. So the enemy is really good at asking you questions you don't have the answers to yet or making you think differently so that you don't think you have the answers yet. He's using questions to create doubt and deceive us. Right. So he comes up on Eve 
and he first thing he says is, "Do you, he really say that to you that yeah. you must not eat the fruit from any of the tree and of any of the trees in the garden?" And Eve's response then we see in verse two and three. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now notice Eve is correct. She is repeating back what God told her. Mm -hmm. But yeah? she doesn't just say what right. God said. Right. God told Adam, you do not eat of it or you will die. Adam told Eve, don't eat it, don't even touch it, or you will die. True. And I, that, True. I, call it, right. I, I call Adam the first legalist. He created a new law that was not God's law, because if, they, if she doesn't even touch it, she can't eat it. So he's adding laws to God's law to make sure that she follows God's law. But she got to the place where she felt like that was God's law, that she couldn't even touch it. That's right. So the next thing Satan does is he sows seeds of doubt and lies, right? Yes. So in verse 4, what's he say to her? He lies to her. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. So what is he doing? He's making the tree look like a tree of opportunity. Oh, that's good. You know? Yeah. That's not what, that's not true. He lied to you. God lied yeah. to you. He didn't yeah. tell you the truth there. Yeah. Right? And then in verse 5, he says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So what is he saying to Eve right here? Baby, you're going to find yourself. You're going to be even more beautiful than you are right now. You're going to be more than, you're going to be like God. Yeah. And can you really trust God? I mean, what are his intentions anyway? I mean, there's knowledge here for you, and he's keeping you from it. Why would he do that if he's such a good God? Right. So this isn't just more eat this delicious fruit. The appeal is much bigger. Yes. Right? It's going down deeper. And then Satan hides the bigger picture by a narrow focus. That's the third yes. thing he does. Yes. Satan develops tunnel vision where all the vision, all of the vision that you can see is what's immediately in front of your eye. He distorts our focus. We lose sight of the consequences. So in verse six, what's it say? The woman was convinced. convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, which, note, Adam was there. Yep. She wasn't by herself. He was watching. Mm -hmm. Who was with her and he ate it too. I like um, the ESV gives us a little insight there. Um, that the NLT doesn't, and that is that she looked at the fruit and decided that it would give wisdom. There's no way for her to know that it would actually give wisdom. She only has the word of the serpent, but when she looked at the fruit and she saw it was beautiful fruit and it looked awfully delicious, it must also hold the wisdom that the enemy says that it has. And so she bought hook, line, and sinker. She desired after something that was against God's intentions. Mm -hmm. Think about this, it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After all six days that God created the world, what did he say? It was good. good. Eve already knew what good was. This is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is the 
she knows good. Yeah, they know what good is up to this point. What she's going to learn is what it means to go against God. What she's going to learn is evil. She already knows good. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing the trap for what it is, she convinces herself by how it looks and how it might taste and says, God must not know what he's talking about. It can't be that bad for me to know the difference between good and evil. And aren't we still doing that today? Amen. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be astrology. Mm -hmm. It can be science. It can yes. be um, education almost to a point sometimes can get That's in right. the way. It's not that any of those things, you know, it's not that education is bad or anything like that. But what's the intention? We're trying to know more than God. Mm -hmm. We want to know more than him. We want to know what he knows. To know that we don't right? need him. Mm -hmm. and to convince herself that he doesn't exist. So the enemy uses questions to deceive us. We question God and confuse ourselves. And between the two of those, temptation comes along. And like you said before, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil becomes the tree of opportunity. That's right. So let's go to 7. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So I can imagine the conversation if yeah. it was you and me. Yeah, right. Uh, babe, uh -huh. we're in trouble. <laughs> First I'd be like. <laughs> then I'd be like, we're in trouble. Yeah, God's going to find out. Dad's going to find out. What are we going to do? And yeah. instead of going to dad, what do they do? Uh, what can they we do? Let's see. They uh, try to figure it out themselves. <laughs> those fig leaves are big. Let's use those. Right. Anybody ever worn clothing made out of fig leaves? I can't imagine that that was comfortable. Right. But there is a story mm -hmm. that we wanted to just kind of tie in. It kind of reminds me of the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. Oh, yes. yes. So I don't know if you guys have heard that story before as a kid, Emperor's New Clothes. Oh, we've got one in the room who does okay. not know that story. You're going to learn a new thing? So very quickly. This is a, new, this is a fairy tale. Go. Oh, yes. You're the storyteller. Oh, goodness. I thought you were telling <laughs> the story. So I hope I get it right. Uh, so don't judge me. If well, you, just if do I get it in a nutshell. Just in a nutshell. nutshell, here's what happens. Uh, the, this king is so full of himself that he wants to look as best, as good as he possibly can. And these two guys come up with this plan that they are going to take everything the king has by convincing him that the most beautiful clothes that you could possibly have are actually invisible. And so we're going to put these invisible clothes on. You give us all your other clothes and all your other positions. We're going to give you these clothes, and they're going to be even more yeah, beautiful. You can't, you can't than see anything. that, all you can't, the people can everyone see Everyone else is going to be able to see it, yeah. and they're going to be amazed. And so the king comes out naked. Well, I think in the, in the uh, PG version, he comes out in his long underwear. <laughs> Um, and he is exposed to the rest of the people. And while he's these two strutting guys. down the street yes. thinking he's wearing the finest clothes that he's ever worn when actually he's in his birthday suit. Yes. And all of the people see him yes. in his birthday suit. In the same way, think about this, in the same way, Adam and Eve were covered up, but were really naked. Yes. And Adam and Eve felt ashamed, embarrassed, and guilty mm -hmm. and we kind of wanted to talk about that difference between guilt 
and yeah. shame. You want to talk about this that? This is a good place. And that is one thing um, understand. They now know the difference between good and evil. They know how to desire things that are other than God. So they are now seeing each other in a different way. And they are now seeing the world in a different way. So this doesn't mean that sex is evil. This doesn't mean that uh, nakedness is evil. What it means is that these two now are desiring after each other more than they are desiring after God. And the minute that they do that, they put themselves in jeopardy. And they are guilty of that. But they don't stop there. They don't think, oh, oh I'm thinking something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I have uh, said something wrong. They think, there's something wrong with me. So they are ashamed. They're not just feeling guilty. They are ashamed of themselves because of what they're going through. So, oh, no. They're, I'm not just guilty of eating the fruit. I'm not just guilty of being naked. And I'm not just guilty of my, what my thoughts are. What I am, what I am is ashamed. I am, there's something wrong with me. And too often we put ourselves in that place. The minute that we do something that goes against God, rather than feeling guilt and being willing to repent of it, we feel shame and we cover ourselves up and we wonder where we can hide so that God can't see us. Which anymore. is also the enemy's weapon. Yes. That's his fourth weapon is shame. Yes, is shame. It's okay to, you always used to tell our kids, guilt is like the engine light on your car. Yes. It beeps or it lights up and it flashes. It says something's wrong. Something's wrong. This isn't quite right. Something's off. Right. Right? But shame is, I feel so bad that I can't even, yeah. I can't even move forward to do what I need to but do. Shame is like the engine breaks down. But that engine light will be on for a long time before the engine breaks down. Mm -hmm. If you take care of the what's causing the light, you don't have to worry about the engine breaking down. And too often we go, oh no, the light's on. I better turn everything off. I can't use it anymore. Which is and exactly where the enemy wants it. you. And I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. That's right. He wants you in that shame. He wants you to stay in that shame because he doesn't want you to repent, come out of it, be redeemed. Mm -hmm. and then do the work that he has called you to do. Yes. That's how he uses shame as a weapon. Yes. And too often in our churches and in our gatherings together as believers and the world even, Satan uses that shame. Yes. And he, we get guilt and shame mixed up. Yeah. And so we really wanted to touch on that yeah. and talk about so that. Adam and Eve don't just sow fig leaves and put clothes on themselves for the first time without really knowing what they're doing. They also hide in the bushes. They don't want God to see them. They don't want God to know what they've done. They don't want God to be a part of what's happening. They have completely divorced themselves from God. Listen, it, God told them they would surely die. But really what death is is separation. He was saying, I am the source of life. And the minute that you commit evil, the minute you desire something other than me, you have now separated yourself from the source of life. And now... Death will come. Mm -hmm. That's right. So in verse 8, so verse 7, they made fig leaves. Right. To, right. And then in verse 8, they hide. When the, Lord, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Mm -hmm. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, hiding is something we learn at an early age. Yes. I remember hiding from my mom when I didn't want to get in trouble. I still hide from your mom when I'm in trouble. <laughs> I didn't want to get caught. But boy, hiding actually made it worse, didn't it? Yeah. Because when I was found, boy, did I get it. 
I caught it, right? And my brother and I would play hide and seek um, when we got a little bit older. And of course, this was back, you know, I won't mention the time period, but back in the day. Yes. Right. And back then, you know, we lived in a, a pretty safe neighborhood. But my brother and I would play hide and seek on the weekends. We'd play at night because there was something sinister about hiding in the dark. It was yeah. so fun to have flashlights and it just added everything happening. to it, right? But sometimes we hide as children. We don't want to get caught doing something wrong. And maybe you hid as well. Maybe you're hiding now. To escape from pain and emotional trauma or turmoil. There's some of you that have trouble being open and transparent and authentic because you're hiding things or you've hidden things away your whole life. Because that's the thing about shame. It turns into bitterness. It turns into hopelessness. You become isolated and then we hide everything within us and we don't want to share it. And if you habitually hide things in your relationships with people who love you and who trust you. This is hard. This is hard yes. teaching. Yes, it is. Okay. But listen, it's, it's coming out of love. If you hide things in your relationships with people that you love and trust you and from godly people who you relate to for accountability, you will destroy those relationships. Yes. And you can't have a healthy connection with another human being or with God if you're a hider. Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that a mark of real love and maturity was putting away childish things. Mm -hmm. When you remove those things you hide behind, you have room to grow. And if you don't, you become stunted and cannot grow at all. And everyone around you knows it, yes. even if you don't. Yes. So we play this game of hiding in the shadows and believing we are covered with beautiful clothes like the emperor or fig leaves like Adam and Eve, when in reality we are sinners that are naked and exposed before a holy God. Now, that's hard teaching, yeah. and that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, but, yeah. and when we say the word but here at the jar, it's, it's a, a big, large it's but. It's a big but. <laughs> yeah. But, but how does God respond? Yes. He's the seeker. That's right. With the very first question in the Bible, let's go to verse 9. Here's where it starts getting good, y'all. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Mm -hmm. First question in the Bible. Where are you? And men, this pronoun, you, is first person singular masculine. He is not asking where the couple is he's asking where adam is because he is the responsible party he was given eve and his job was to protect eve so whatever is going on is not all adam's fault but it is all of adam's responsibility in this moment he is responsible for this couple so god says where are you and let's talk just briefly about this. This just came to me just real, real quick. First of all, Eve was a gift to Adam. Yes. And Adam didn't treasure that gift enough to protect her from eating that fruit. At the same time, why did the, why did the serpent choose the woman? Because she is the one that's going to carry the seed mm -hmm. to a, a living and holy savior. That's the first thing. Second thing, women... 
because you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Yes. You create life, you give life. And Satan is a jealous enemy. Absolutely. He wants what you have. And he had to choose between the man and the woman. And I think he chose the woman on purpose because of her beauty, because of the life that she could give in her womb. And he was jealous of that, now, right? Later, Isaiah is going to prophesy that the Messiah who is to come is going to come from a virgin. So if there are no pure virgins, there can be no Messiah. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about ahead. that later too. I, won't, but I will say, Stacey Eldridge wrote a great book called, mm -hmm. I think it's Captivating? Yes. Is what it's called? Yes. And That's one of the things where, she yes. pointed out there that really mm -hmm. kind of hit me was, Captivating yes, is a wonderful book, yeah, ladies. Yes, the man was made first. Mm -hmm. But have you ever heard of saving the best for last? The pinnacle of creation, the last thing created was woman. That doesn't mean that woman is better than man and we should be subservient to her or anything like that. But what it does mean is that we were given a charge to be responsible for the one who was going to bring the Messiah. That's our job. If you are married, if you, are, if you have a mom, if you have a daughter, if you have a niece, if you have a friend who is a woman, sister, and you are a believer in Christ, be responsible for her, not an authority over her. Right, right. So let's see what Adam and Eve did real quick, and then we're going to go back to verse 9. First, skip to verse 11. <laughs> Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman <laughs> who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then yeah. the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said, and she points to the snake and replies, that's why I ate it. I would even say Adam that's human is, nature right there. <laughs> Adam is not only blaming the woman. He doesn't just say the woman did it. He said, the woman you gave me. He's blaming God. You're the one that gave her to me and she did this to me. Uh, and that is also something that we often do. Things start going wrong in our lives. We start having to face consequences and we go, God, why did you do this to me? Mm -mm. That wasn't God. That wasn't God who caused that situation. We did that. That's right. But this holy God is also a God of love. Yes. And notice going back to verse nine, who does the looking? Yeah. Who did the hiding and who did the seeking? The seeking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's popular today and it has been through all of man's history. Today, when a crisis strikes, we try to blame God for our problems, right? And the biggest phrase is, if God was really a God of love, why would he allow this to happen? I don't understand. Right. Don't allow people to use that excuse. Mm -hmm. don't, don't blame him. We disobey him and we hide from him. And when we do that, we show our intentions that we don't want. What we're saying to him is we don't want you interfering with our lives. Yeah. We push him away, except when we want something from him. Yeah. And so we have to remember that. We have or to remember. if something goes wrong and we want to blame him. Mm -hmm. And we can do a whole series on why does bad things happen to good people. Yeah. And we will at some point. I just This is an easy way to sum it up, though, if you're like, oh, man, I really want to know that. This is what an elder said to me in one of our elders' meetings. He said, we have the wrong question. 
-hmm. We ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But the real question is, why does anything good ever happen at all? If people were left to themselves without God, there would be all kinds chaos. of bad. Yeah, but because there is a God, there is good, and he's mm -hmm. the only reason that there is good. Right, and so that goes right into, he did the seeking. Yes. So right from the very first sin, very first sin, God signals his intention of restoring our relationship with him. Amen. He doesn't wait. Amen. You know, he doesn't get mad at Adam and Eve and then leave immediately and he's gone until he gets over it and comes back. Right. That's not the God that we serve. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. I love Psalm 139.17. It says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. God loves you. And even when life gets in the way and other people's sin gets in the way and there are consequences of those choices and bad things happen to good people, yeah. God says, the things I think of you individually are outnumbered. Mm -hmm. I love you that yeah. much. Yeah. So we tend, to, we tend to avoid God, right, when we get into trouble, but he wants to talk to us. Sometimes we neglect reading the Bible, but he wants to talk to us. Yeah. We put off spending time in prayer and meditation, but he wants to talk to us. We've had a bad day. We did something we're not proud of. We're sick. We're tired. We're angry. We're grieving. We're heartbroken. The busyness of life, all of those things. But God wants to talk to you. Right. Right? So God uses questions to bring us back to him. And then once he starts us on that road, there are sometimes consequences. It's not because he hates us. It's because we've changed the game now, and he has to respond to that. So the very first thing he does is look at the serpent. Yeah. Not at Adam, mm -hmm. not at Eve. He looks at the serpent. And that's, we call this the curse, but recognize that inside the curse, there is mercy, and we're going to show you that. Right. So he goes on, basically, in verses 14 to 19, he pronounces the consequences. But like Michael said, he turns to the serpent first. Yes. And said, you did this. Right? And then he turns to Adam and Eve, and he casts them from the garden and the consequences that go with that. And it's hard. It's a hard teaching. It's a, it's a hard lesson. Um, but even though Adam and Eve made the wrong decision, they were tempted, and then they sinned. Temptation is different than sin, and we're going to talk about that next week. Yeah, yeah. There's temptation, and then there's sin. So they were tempted by the tactics of the enemy, which we just talked about, but then they went through and they actually sinned. But praise the Lord. There's a promise of deliverance, salvation, and blessing beginning in verse, verse, verse 15, he gives a promise, which is the very first promise, which provided a ray of hope for all of mankind. Genesis 3, look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And then there's a semicolon there, right? And he says, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yes. So we, we really just... Looking at that, there's a place where Paul tells us um, that the offspring there, the seed there is singular, not plural. The intention isn't that all of mankind would be against the serpent. The intention is eventually there will be a woman who 
through her seed has a man mm -hmm. who is going to crush his head. You may bruise his heel. You are going to have an effect on him, but he is the one who is going to crush you. And this is the very first promise that a Messiah is coming and that he will be victorious. Genesis chapter 3, third chapter. Third beginning. chapter. And Not Jesus only third is, chapter, yeah. but just a few verses mm -hmm. after the first sin. Mm -hmm. And here comes, here comes Jesus in there. And as the Bible progresses and as we study the Old Testament together this year, we're going to begin to see God's plan of salvation for man. Yes. Yes. It's going to develop through the life of Noah and then to Abraham. And out of Abraham, we see the coming Messiah. Um, Matthew, And then we go into the New Testament. Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew 1, 1. Yes. He tells us a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Amen. the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? And like Michael was saying, that passage from Paul is in Galatians uh, 3, verses 16. Paul says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, one person who is Jesus Christ. Yeah, Paul names the Lord. It. Not just one person. It's Jesus. By the way, spoiler alert. It's Jesus. <laughs> right. But then continuing with God's blessings and promises when we basically mess up, right? When we make mistakes. Because we do. We're human. That's what, you know. And we see this. But notice what happened to the animals. What? How did God respond? We said in, was it verse 7? Adam and Eve, they're... They, they did fig, fig leaves. Yeah, they sewed the fig leaves together. That was their answer to things. They, they came up God with a solution reverse? themselves mm -hmm. that wasn't a very good solution. Mm -hmm. God's mercy says, I can do better than that. So God later, when you go down to verse 21, he sews skins for Adam and Eve out of the animals and clothes them properly. So what happened to the animals? They had to die. Remember that death is new. Yeah, they had to die. One of the animals Adam had just named in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, had to be killed. And this was meant to impress on them that sin required a death penalty. Yes. And blood had to be shed in order for them to be covered up properly again. So yes. here we're already seeing the, simil the, the similarities, right? That only the righteous garments of Jesus Christ can cover our sins and make us acceptable to God. And that's how much our God loves us. That's right. Yeah. I never saw that before. That that symbolism there of him having to kill the animals and, and use that yeah. to show. And then, you know, all through the Old Testament, yeah. the animals are the sacrifices of what's coming that are given. In Leviticus right? and, mm -hmm. and the different the different laws where uh, and, and different animals, depending on how wealthy you were, how poor you were, depending on what you had done and what you hadn't done. Um, you, there were animals that were going to pay the price for you and for the entire nation. There was what, have you ever heard of a scapegoat? That's actually a biblical term. The, the high priest would lay his head, his hand on the head of a goat and transfer all of the sins of all of Israel onto that goat and then send that goat out of the camp. Mm -hmm. And so all through scripture, God is saying this requires sacrifice in a way that you can't imagine there is death and there is blood, and that is the only way to pay for the evil that comes from the bad decisions we make with our free will. So, that when Jesus then comes at the time that God has appointed, yes. the Jewish people understand that. 
And Jesus becomes the lamb that is slain and the blood that is shed and his garments mm -hmm. cover us and make us acceptable before God. And yes. no longer do we have to sacrifice the animals. And can I be honest with you? I'm so glad yeah. that I am post-Jesus and not pre-Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm so glad that I don't have to do that anymore, that Jesus is, yeah. is that animal, that, that lamb. Yes. So to speak, symbolically. I was going to say, you had that, that last week. You had that scripture from Revelation that talks about him being the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. So imagine Jesus reading into this. Imagine Jesus reading chapter 3. Imagine Jesus seeing all of this and getting to this place and realizing that eventually he's the one. He's the one that is going to do this for us. At a very young age. This is Genesis chapter 3. It's one of the first lessons he gets to learn. He might be four, five, six years old. He is reading about the sacrifice that he's going to make at that age. And still, 30 years later, goes through with it. That's right. Sometimes we... Uh, this is new. Sorry. Go, ahead. Go for it. Do Sometimes... It. Uh, Sometimes we say, if I had only known. If I had only known how this was going to work out, I would have done it differently. Right? What if you did know? What if you knew the sacrifice that it was going to take for you to live the kind of life that you needed to live for Jesus? What if you did know? Would you still do it? All through the New Testament, Scripture tells us that we are going to face persecutions. You know. All through the New Testament, it tells us that suffering is a part of living for Christ. You know. You may not know the specifics. You may not know the details. But God is telling you from the very beginning that this requires you to be fully submitted to me. Because if you're not fully submitted to me, you don't have the power to live for him. The same power that raises you from the grave is the same power living inside of you to help you do what you have to do. You can be that person because he is that person inside of you. So don't tell me if I had only known. Instead, recognize that this is your opportunity to say, I know now. And now I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he will keep that which I have entrusted to him until that day when Jesus comes back and I get the full benefit and reward of what he's done for me. Between now and then, I'm going to live in the joy of the Lord because that is my salvation. And I'm going to live for him and through him and with him so that I can bring as many with me as I can. Mm -hmm. So that at the end of the day, when I walk into paradise, I'm walking with a crowd. Yes. If you enjoyed our teaching today, we have great news. On January 7th, the JAR will be adding a second gathering. Starting with the new year, we will offer two times on Sunday, the new one at 10.30 a.m. and our current one at 4 p.m. Come learn how to be a disciple maker as God fills us so that we can empty for others. I am filled to